You're listening to Welcome to Iloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. This is a space where we talk about building strategic partnerships to grow your business. Now, I'm a firm believer that we can't nor should we do this alone because building a business is really tough. And when we try to be all things to all people, it's just not a great recipe for success. So I talk a lot about Gay Hendricks' zone of genius exercise and how we should be operating as much as possible in our highest level of contribution. And I think one of the best ways we can do this is by building strategic partnerships. And it kind of asks for a high sense of self-awareness and then finding the people that work right for you, right? So anything from like internal, external operations, business development, creative marketing partnerships, you name it, I think there's an opportunity for a pretty solid strategic partnership wherever you need it. So today's guest has built quite a name for herself. And one of the ways she's done that is not only through creating an incredible product, she's the OG when it comes to removable wallpaper, but along the way, she's also built some incredible partnerships with brands such as iSpy DIY, Penguin Random House, Yelp, Max Humphrey, and so many others. She's the founder of Chasing Paper, and has built her company over the last decade to seven figures while maintaining a pretty lean team and beginning her journey into motherhood. I first met Elizabeth in, I think it was 2008. Nope, 2018, (laughs) not 2008. (laughs) And I immediately had a lady crush on her. She is so badass. She says what she means. She isn't afraid to make hard decisions in pursuit of what she wants. And it is with great pleasure that I welcome Elizabeth Reese to the show. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. It is truly my pleasure. I remember kind of, as I mentioned, when I first met you, it was at uh, it was at your your former space. And I was like, yes. oh my gosh, who is this lady who's <laughs> dropping F-bombs here and there and just like real truths because she's speaking to my heart. And then I know we had like a lovely coffee after that. And I've just been such a fan. So thank you for joining us on the show. Of course. My pleasure. Absolutely. So, okay, let's get into it, Elizabeth. You've got so much that we could talk about, but let's dive into let's dive into visions and and strategic partnerships and how these things change. So as entrepreneurs, as founders, you know, we typically all have this vision of what our business is going to be or what we want it to be. Right. But just like life, things shift and they pivot along the way. So talk to me a little bit about how chasing paper has surprised you with some maybe unexpected shifts throughout the years. Yeah, absolutely. I started chasing paper back in 2013 when I was living in New York. It really came as sort of many things sort of coming together, which I think a lot of times is sort of how good business ideas start. I had some very early um, sort of excitement around the brand from editors. Um, It was also a product that I wanted in my own life. I was living in New York and I couldn't paint because I was in a pre-war building. And so after, you know, maybe six months to a year of planning and researching, um, I launched the business and again, had some just very early kind of attaboys from, you know, people that I respected in the industry, editors, um, just some people that I, I knew and liked sort of paying attention to what we were doing. 
but I mean, it was like trial by fire. I was not prepared really for launch. I thought I was <laughs> before I launched. Um, so it, the first couple of years were really just like learning, um, mostly by making lots of mistakes. Um, everything from like pricing to, um, you know, just saying yes to the wrong things and yep. spinning my wheels. And I'm, there was just a lot of that. Um, but I was young and single and, um, just kind of living out my best life in New York. And so I just, mm-hmm. I loved the brand. I was just, you know, working a lot and, um, going out a lot just, you know, to meet people, to events, to industry stuff. So it, it felt very, um, new, but also there was a ton of failure in the beginning, being obviously Midwestern, you know, over the years, I think something that sort of surprised me was not that I would say I'm more conservative with the business now, but I certainly have, you know, different priorities, different things drive the business. I think in those first couple of years, it was out of sheer curiosity. It was out of sheer, just, you know, sort of wanting to solve a problem, wanting to see how far I could take it, you know, trying to kind of prove something maybe to myself and to other people, Um, whereas in the last probably five years, um, I think I've just really like settled into the business. I have, um, a much more concrete, I think, idea of sort of what I want it to be and how I want it to sort of fold into my own life, my personal life, um, which I think has given me a lot of, I don't know, just more contentment around it. I think that there's a lot less anxiety, um, when you're, I think, again, in those early years, I was just like really doing way too much for too many people um, and not really doing things for myself. So that's been kind of not maybe a surprise, but just sort of an evolution of things. I think I'm just a lot more thoughtful now in sort of the things that we do and the things that we say yes to, which is such a privilege, right? I mean, you know, I think it was sort of out of necessity that I said yes to everything in the early years and a lot was a good learning experience. But, you know, I would say, yeah, that it's just a lot more thoughtful now, a lot probably slower pace as well, which has felt really good to me. You know, I love you. You brought up so many good nuggets right there, but you had mentioned this idea of, or the sense of curiosity at the beginning of starting the business, but then kind of evolving into that. And I think that's really interesting. Somebody please prove me wrong, but I think it's like a necessity to just like do whatever you can to make it work for the first couple of years. I think it's just chaos. I I don't know if you can do it without the chaos. But again, I'd love for somebody to prove me wrong on that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to hear that story as well. <laughs> yeah. Like, please, I'd love to read that book. But I think also you you mentioned the saying yes and saying no and being intentional and thoughtful. And I think we all fall into that trap so often of like, yeah, sure, I'll meet with you. Yeah, sure, I'll do this. And then all of a sudden your calendar is full of all these meetings that you're like, I don't want to talk to any of these people. Completely. <laughs> right? Like time, the one thing we never have more of. Tell me a little bit more about how over time, and I love you said now you're kind of settling into the business. And I think as a lot of listeners out there, whether they're starting their business, they've been in their business, or they're at this transition point, you know, at what point did you start to feel like you weren't, uh, it wasn't quite so much chaos and you were able to slow down, make some more intentional decisions and, and what does that kind of like translate into now? Yeah. I mean, I left New York and I think that that's, and brought the business back here to Milwaukee. Um, you know, we were at sort of an inflection point in terms of revenue. Um, and, you know, like when I started chasing paper, one of my first dinners with my dad, my dad would come to New York. He'd always be like, how are you going to get this to a million dollars? That was like always this thing that I had in my mind. <laughs> and like question. the first year. Yeah. And it always just felt like this super arbitrary number. And I was just like, I don't know, like 
you know, in some ways a million dollars can feel like everything. And then in other ways it could feel like nothing, you know, it's like, it's just, it was, it felt so arbitrary. So once we hit, once, or once we surpassed that milestone, I think I started kind of, cause it, again, in those early years, I was like, I'll never get to that. Like, I don't know. I was just like one person doing this thing with no, you know, and again, being in New York, every other company that I was looking at was, you know, um, venture backed or, um, you know, being bought by a strategic partner. So it had this like intense amount of capital behind it. And I, there I was just sort of chugging along, bootstrapping, <laughs> you know, I was a one woman show for so long. And then after we sort of hit that first, that milestone of a million dollars, I kind of had a, that light bulb moment of like, okay, this could really be something like this could be bigger than I had sort of initially imagined. Because as I said, when I started, it wasn't like, I want this to be a big, you know, lifestyle brand. It was I just want to see if I can do this. I, it was fun. It was like exciting. It felt, yeah. I mean, in those early days, it was just like, I was doing so much for the experience. You know, I was flying all over the world and, and, you know, sourcing things and, you know, just, it was a crazy, it was so much fun, but you know, really when I made the decision to move back to Milwaukee and the wallpaper has always been produced here through my family's business. And I really wanted to have, I'd always had a very close tied to the product. Obviously I was always flying back and forth from New York, but bringing it back here, I knew I wanted to grow a team. I knew I wanted a space and it just felt right. I mean, again, New York felt very, um, high stakes. It felt like I was going to have to raise. And at that moment I wasn't ready to part with any equity. And also I was still figuring things out. So once I moved the business back, I just, you know, it sounds kind of corny, but I just really feel like chasing paper was able to sort of like spread her wings. And, you know, because it's, you know, even though I built this company, it's like its own thing. It's like kind of like having a baby, you know, you can do a lot for it, but at the end of the day, it's kind of got to walk on its own and find its way into the world. And I just really feel like Milwaukee was the right home for it. You know, I've got such an amazing team of just hardworking Midwestern people. And, you know, we just, they're, they love the brand and, um, they see the vision and I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. But I would, I would really say it was that move that I think was sort of that turning point and inflection point. Yeah. So sometimes it's really just like a physical relocation. And I mean, maybe I think you could probably argue that's a bit of like a mental and mindset shift too, but talk to me a little bit about, how your partnerships over the years have allowed you to get to this place, you know, like a million in revenue for some people listening might be, might feel unattainable, but then a million in revenue might, might be nothing to somebody else. So talk to me a little bit about how those strategic partnerships have really helped elevate, elevate chasing paper as a whole. And I'm kind of like where you're going now. Cause I know you have some exciting things in store. Yeah. You know, I think that the partnership, it's really interesting because now like collaborations are like, you know, ubiquitous, like every company does it, you know, it's like, you know, Adidas and Gucci, you know, I mean, everyone does it, like whether you're the biggest companies in the world or really small companies. And we actually launched in 2013 with a collaboration. And what I really saw, so, I mean, not that we, we, and there was people doing it for sure, but it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now where like literally everyone does it. But I think what, what we saw early on or what I saw early on is that there was a, just, it just made common sense to leverage two audiences versus one audience. So especially in those first couple of years, we weren't going after huge partners. We were looking at other 
artists, designers, companies that had a similar following, a similar audience um, that were sort of at maybe a similar level. So it felt very equitable. Um, it wasn't, you know, that one was huge and one was small or, you know, one was kind of dragging the other one along. It felt very equitable. And I mean, immediately that like doubled our reach, right? I mean, it just felt very kind of common sense to me. And what we were doing or what we were trying to build with Chasing Paper that, you know, we didn't see a lot of was just creating collections that were incredibly one of a kind. Um, You know, there's so much sameness in design and certainly in wallpaper and fabric. You know, it can completely like scramble your brain. Sometimes you're like, I've seen this before and you can't place it, but a lot of it runs together. So we wanted to try to create collections that felt, you know, very special, that felt nostalgic, all the great things that sort of go along with wallpaper. But after a couple of years of doing that, you know, then we started kind of just leveraging up, leveraging up, leveraging up, but very organically, very small. You know, I think sometimes it's so easy, especially now with like social media and like the craziness of all that, of all of us, like being way too in tune with what everyone else is doing is I think sometimes it seems like overnight these things happen to companies, but I can tell you it was like totally the opposite for chasing paper. I mean, every little thing that we did just got us one little step further, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. And then over time, you know, then we were being carried at West Elm and Pottery Barn Kids and Creighton Kids, um, brands I grew up on, Uh, I always say to the Creighton Kids team that like, you know, I ate cereal out of Creighton Barrel Bowls growing up. And like, you know, it was just like this, when I saw a Creighton Barrel box, there was, that was like the ultimate luxury that I thought, you know, like, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it is. Right. And like, so somebody like my parents got like new cereal bowls for Christmas. I just thought that Creighton Barrel box was so luxury. (laughs) You know, I really did. And so, you know, it's just wild to have such wonderful um, which still feel equitable. It still feels like we're bringing something to the table that they're really craving and that they're really after. So even though there's, you know, these are such larger companies than we are, it still feels like we are working together and in, you know, what I feel like should be collaboration, which should be really, you know, people coming together to create something better than they could do on their own. And I think just that continual leveling up and you know me, Kylie, I'm very transparent. I, these are also not the things that like pay the bills. You know, these, these collaborations sometimes are what we're doing just to get in front of new audiences, to get in front of new people. You know, the, the things that sometimes look the sexiest aren't always the most profitable or drive the most revenue, but we always said it's like kind of for our street cred, you know, like being in line with some of these brands and businesses or people or designers allow chasing paper to sort of maybe share some of that, that spotlight or share some of that um, excitement or um, community around those brands. And, you know, we hoped that if we showed up and, you know, did all the things and it looked great and the product was something we could really stand behind that maybe we could win some of those, those customers over. So, yeah, I mean, it's just been little by little and partnerships though have always, yes, incremental. That's the perfect word. Um, have really always been just at the heart of what we do. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I, as I've been watching your journey, I'm just like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Like, look at look at all this. But I appreciate you in in the transparency because I, I you know, I've had that experience too. Is like the some not always, but sometimes the sexiest looking things are like, yeah, but we had to pay for that, or we got in on, or like it actually cost us money. Um, but one of the things you kept saying, which I think is really important, and I want to dig into just a little bit. In terms of like collaborations and partnerships, you kept talking about it being equitable. 
And so I want to take just a moment for anybody listening and trying to figure out how to navigate potential partnerships, et cetera, you know, talk to me a little bit about equitable and what that might look like in a partnership. And then I'm also guessing that there's like KPIs or some kind of way that you're defining success on both sides. So talk to me a little bit about what that might look like as you start to explore. Yeah. I mean, I think in the early days um, when we were, you know, we were monitoring um, I wouldn't say success, but some of our KPIs were like, you know, Instagram following, engagement on social media, traffic to the website, email list, which are all still things that we um, look at. I guess, you know, now with social media, things are just um, maybe prioritized or, you know, things are so, sort of so, so diluted that it's a different kind of KPI perhaps. But something that we also found um, to be important was just sort of like, brand values and kind of ethos. Um, so, you know, if we felt like all of those things were aligned, um, then, and I, I think you hit right on this, which is something that anytime anyone like asks my advice for anything about like brand partnerships or influencer partnerships, I'm like, you have to over communicate what you feel success is going to look like and over communicate you know, if there's going to be an exchange of, you know, product or assets or any of that kind of stuff, you have to spell it out in a way that is like so overly you know, communicative, I feel like, because no one can misunderstand because quite honestly, that's how you create lasting relationships and partnerships. And this is something that we think a lot about with influencer marketing is that we don't want to work with someone one time. That's like a huge waste of money, time and resources. We only want to work with people or brands or, you know, other companies or agencies if we really feel like it's going to be something longer term because it's so much it's work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work it to build so that relationship. It is so much work and it's yeah, a lot of, sure. you know, due diligence and meetings and scheduling time and going over things and drawing up agreements and it's all a lot of time. So we really want to make sure that we're not thinking about what is this one opportunity. We're thinking about this, like what this could be. And, you know, sometimes those opportunities, yeah, well, exactly. Sometimes they get there, sometimes they don't, but we always try to go into it with that mindset. So like a big picture mindset, like see, see yes, the absolutely. And, the and I think thing. you also want to like, really like dream big with what it could be. And again, maybe it doesn't get there but you can never get anything that you don't ask for or don't try to talk about. And it's, I think it's also nice too, especially when you're working with companies that are much larger than yours. You know, I think sometimes people can think like, oh, that's not equitable, but like, you know, the right brands that are larger than yours will see what you're doing as such an incredible way for them to connect with their customer. You know, customers now are so savvy. They're so like, just they're the smartest shoppers. They want to know where things come from. They want to know where things are sourced. Um, they want to know the background. They want to know the um, partner details. And so companies, you know, right now, especially are using that as leverage to get in front of their customers in a meaningful way. So what you're offering to them is, you know, very important and, you know, should be entrusted as such, you know, so that your interests, the things that are important to you as a company are always kind of in the forefront and driving those conversations and relationships. Um, you know, I've had a couple things over the years where I was scared to say, you know, that I needed more clarification or I wasn't super comfortable with all of the terms, but I was just like too honestly scared or intimidated to say that those always ended up terribly. <laughs> so, 
you know, I really. That's such a good call out though. Like go, like trust your gut. If something feels it is. weird. <laughs> yes. Or exactly. Or just yeah. bring it up and, bring and, it up. and talk through it because I think the more transparent transparency, the more communication you have with truly, I mean, anyone, and that goes for your team, for your vendors, for anyone. I mean, the more communication, the better for sure. You know, you bring up a good point too. Like we talk about strategic partnerships in terms of like, you know, a brand and a brand, but I think also with your teams and and all that, like everybody that you work with is a potential partner or should be considered a partner in some capacity, right? And what what I'm hearing you say is um, that there's a lot of like your values should play a big role in this, making sure that there's alignment and, you know, the, the same like mindset might be available, et cetera. And then also, I think you brought up a great point of like a bigger company to a smaller company, very valid. Like what I, what's coming up for me is, is very value-based. I think so many smaller companies are so full of heart. And I think that's one of the biggest things. And, you know, that could be an advantage for a larger company. Absolutely. And a lot of times too, I mean, depending on what those, you know, kind of KPIs or things that you're looking for, it's entirely possible that you might be doing better at those things than those huge companies, you know, like maybe your open rates on emails is stronger than theirs. Maybe your engagement on social media is better than theirs. I mean, you know, it's, it's not always like a one-to-one or an apples to apples situation. Like their lists and followings might be better, but engagement might be higher for you. And there's huge value in that. Huge. That's a great call. Um, okay. So Elizabeth, you've worked with like dozens and dozens and dozens of brands. Talk to me a little bit about what that initial outreach looks like, or how do you build those, like those initial contacts, relationships. Yeah, I think it's, um, there's definitely like no one place. Um, some of them are inbound, um, people who've heard of us or reach out. So I would say maybe 25 or 30% are just inbound. And I would say another probably third are from me just going to events or speaking at things, um, or meeting people at like a conference or an event. Um, you know, obviously COVID sort of kept me from doing some of those things, but you know, in the last like six months and for the remainder of this year, um, I'm just going to be getting back to that, which is something that I really love. I like to like feel connected to my, um, you know, my industry and different people. Um, and then I think, um, and then probably the last third would be, you know, companies or people, um, that we just admire and love. And, you know, we sit down at the beginning of the year, um, with our PR team and just as our own team and just think like, who are those, like dream. Yes. You know, and we really try to think like really big, you know, like really crazy. And sometimes they don't happen in the way that you would think, like maybe you're not directly, you know, working with like Reese Witherspoon, but maybe you work with her production company or you, I don't know, are you, and that's just one off the top of my head, but like, or, you know, maybe it's not, um, yeah, if you work with Reese well, Witherspoon, that would be amazing. You know, those are the kinds of things where like, okay, if that's the goal, well, maybe there's other ways that like you can kind of get closer to that goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like exactly. map it. You know, so I, I think that's a great exercise that we try to do. And then obviously try to kind of check in throughout the year to see like how we're doing and where we are on those. And some of them just go from year to year to year to year, you know, like just some of those like dream companies or partnerships. Um, And so I I think it's definitely a mix. And I think it's also just trying to keep your brand 
um, really fresh so that if you do get the opportunity to talk to someone where it feels like, oh my God, this is, this would be perfect. This would be amazing that you got these case studies, you know, we say, okay, well, we did something really similar with this person or that person, you know, just continuing to do things in the meantime, um, that are going to help you sort of like pitch and, um, be prepared for those larger, you know, dream, exciting, you know, opportunities. So you, so you're ready to strike when the opportunity. Totally. And I think also to make some mistakes too. I mean, I I think that that's like a part of business that we just like do not talk about enough, which is just like failure, the anxiety over failure, the, this person has it all together and I have nothing together. I mean, I just think that there is just, we've (laughs) got to like pull back that curtain of like any great thing that you see another company doing, they probably like fucked three things up or four things up prior to that to get them ready for that opportunity. And I just don't think we talk about that enough. And, you know, I I think we should. (laughs) Oh, well, I don't know, uh, Elizabeth, that feels like an open <laughs> invite. So uh, to whatever legal degree you're allowed to, is there an example or like a story you can like change names or exclude names where you're like, yeah, no, I I fucked this up pretty bad. And this is why and this is what I would have done differently or what I recommend you know, somebody else think about. Yeah. I mean, I can think of, I mean, there's literally so many, but I mean, one, I'll try to give a varying <laughs> thing. So whoever's listening can, you know, may hopefully under or like latch on to one or one might make sense for their business. I mean, first, like when I started chasing paper, I priced everything wrong. Like I priced everything wrong. Like I just, how like how way, way too cheap, <laughs> like way too inexpensive. Yeah, no, I think we've all <laughs> yeah. done that. And, you know, I mean, like, oh, did you want this for literally free? free? Okay. Like, was I, I think I might've been <laughs> losing money. <laughs> it was just bad. But, you know, the best advice I got, I was so terrified of just like raising my prices. And I was meeting with this guy who was building a um, more of a service based um, company at the time. And they were having some pricing strategy issues as well. And he was like, well, just change the price. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I mean, just go into Shopify and just change the price of everything. And I was like, well, I can't do that because like, you know, edit, you Why know, not? real simple ran something two months ago that said this was $20. And he was like, who cares? Like just go in tonight and change everything. And I was like, he's like, what do you have to lose? And I was like, I guess you're right. And that night I went in and I like changed all the prices to where I was going to make money from the business that I started. Yeah. And no one ever batted an eyelash. No one ever wrote in angrily about that they had seen a different price for whatever, you know? So it was like that intimidation, but you know, you can all, and you can always change things, but I, we get so paralyzed in this fear of like, not, And then there has been many times just for for the partnership piece that I have not signed an agreement. Um, I I just say yes and trust people, companies, and just didn't have anything to sort of fall back on where, again, those expectations were clearly set. And I mean, I've sent thousands of dollars worth of wallpaper and like never gotten stuff back. I mean, just like that kind of rookie stuff where, you know, like you, I just, but I didn't have, I mean, I was to blame, you know, I said, you don't know until you don't you know. know until you know. And I mean, there's also just been some pretty large companies that have come to us pitching us things that we have just said straight out no to. And people like, I mean, if I probably if I said the name of these companies now, people would be like, you're insane. But it just like the terms would, were not right. I mean, it was like a race to the bottom. And you just have to be super careful about like commoditizing your business because 
that's super hard. You know, it's like, you know, and suddenly you're, you know, in our world, we're charging per square foot. If that just keeps going down, down, down of what you're selling it for, it becomes a really, really slippery slope. And, um, you know, we've just really held strong and perhaps it didn't give us like the pop in margin that if we went that way, it did. But I just, overall, I think, again, kind of going that forest through the trees, sustainability of this business is like my biggest goal. You know, I'm not building a company, you know, just to like sell or to scale at a crazy pace. You know, this is an evergreen brand and um, I've been building it for a decade. I now have two little girls. I mean, I would love for them to be at an age that they can really see me working on this and, and understand more what it is. So yeah, I mean, to me, I'm just building it in that way and in, with those values. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, Elizabeth, I, I'm sure there's plenty of that we could dive in here, but tell me a little bit about some of your greatest learning lessons over the years. I know we kind of just touched on a few of them, but any that you're like, maybe your top three that, that people can take, take away. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one that I've touched on a little bit um, throughout our conversation is just like the, <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to make it sound so bad, but you know, just when you're looking at everyone else and you're just not staying in your own lane, I think everything we we're living in a society where like nothing is real <laughs> and like the internet, like it's just <laughs> not like a real place. It's just not it's a so reflection true. or a mirror of like the actual day-to-day grind of a business. And then I think there are those accounts that like pull back the curtain, but almost in this like really dramatic way too, where like a lot of business is like boring. It's like emailing and just getting on your to-do list and like knocking shit out and like making sure that, you know, your team is prioritizing correctly. I mean, it's not very sexy. You're not going to do like an Instagram live about those kinds of things, but they're important. And, you know, I think, so the biggest thing for me, and I've really been trying to work on this more, especially in the last couple of years, um, whether it's with business or with motherhood, is just to like stay in my lane and like, keep my eyes on what I'm doing. Stay in your lane. Truly though. I mean, it's, it's so (laughs) easier said than done. And I find myself, you know, like creeping on these, you know, Instagram pages of people who I'm like, they have it all. I mean, they have it all. Like they, there's nothing in their life. That's hard. It's everything's perfect. And I fall into that trap too. And I just think, you know, it's just not that way. And so I, I really have been just trying to focus on like, what's in my control. What am I deciding And then just really, you know, kind of choosing those choices of saying like, this is what I've chosen. And now I'm living with those choices. Another thing I would say is just, and again, this kind of goes into the partnership thing, but just choosing people to either work on your team or represent you or your brand or partners um, that you just feel are really in line with your vision. You know, I don't want to ever like lose sleep at night thinking about, you know, how someone's representing us or how this partnership's going to go or how it's going to be received. You know, every single person we work with or company we work with or agency we work with, I have like complete and total trust. And, you know, I feel like that's served me pretty well. Like I think, you know, just really having, trusting my gut with those kinds of things has been just kind of an important part of growing the business um, while, you know, keeping the anxiety about that at bay. Um, so just, you know, filling your team and the people surrounding you with, you know, who are just smart, smarter than, you know, they can be smarter than you. Like there's that old adage, like hire people that are smarter than you. And it's like, I could not agree with that more. I love to like learn from my team and have them be 
proactively, you know, um, creating solutions and, you know, bringing ideas to me. I mean, I think that there's no better thing than that. And then I think, again, kind of, this is sort of what we were talking about um, before we started recording is just like keeping it interesting, keeping it fresh. You know, you've got to kind of like be, you know, you said it really beautifully, just re-falling in love with your business, um, finding those things that excite you, um, that keep you motivated, that keep you in it. Um, because, you know, it's it's kind of very similar to motherhood. I mean, I think like they say, you know, like the days are long, but the years are short. And I think it's so similar in business where you've just kind of want to be prioritized on the right things and, and doing the things that you can to sort of like romance yourself with the, with the business every once in a while, whether it's like a great trip or a great like conference. Like I always feel like when I come back from like a conference, I'm like just reborn into the company. I have ideas and I can't wait to like share what I learned and, um, so just me and also just having time away and being creative, um, going to a new city or just doing something that sort of whatever it is for that, you know, the person listening just to reinvigorate you as like a human being as well. <laughs> I think that's very important. So, so to summarize, I'm hearing you say, stay in your lane, <laughs> like just, just do you, uh, trust your gut and surround yourself with really great people. And then find opportunities to re-fall in love with your business and excite yourself. Now, that's also a perfect segue into, you know, as you have these two beautiful little girls, um, how has life shifted? How has priorities shifted trying to, you know, I I hate to ask this cliche question because, well, it's cliche, (laughs) but let's just talk about being a human with other things in your life and, and balancing or blending, whatever that looks like motherhood and you as a human and your business, like finding whatever feels right for you there. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly been something that changes and shifts truly week to week. I think, I think what, what, what I, what I feel really lucky about, you know, I didn't have my girls until I was 35 and 37. Um, so I had done a lot of work on myself and just getting to know myself and had a lot of years just with my business, just, you know, that being kind of my first baby. So I think in that way, I felt very lucky that my business was in a stabilized place. You know, I read about like new moms starting businesses. And I mean, first of all, that's just like truly the most incredible thing I've ever heard in my life. Cause there's no way I, I would have been motherhood completely, completely overwhelmed me. It was, it's truly the hardest and obviously best thing I've ever done, but I was really thankful that chasing paper was in a more stable place when um, Uma and Marlo came into the world. And I think from a priority perspective, um, you know, I feel very lucky. I remember reading um, Cheryl Sandberg's book, lean in, when it came out. So, I mean, I was like a single Pringle living in New York, like not a single yeah. Pringle. Oh my gosh. I've never heard that. I love it. A single, I Pringle. really was, I mean, I had no attachments, no, you know, I mean, I'm writing yeah. this down. <laughs> I'm seriously writing this down. I, um, you know, so when I leaned, I, I read that book, I was like, this book is bullshit. Like I, you know, it, none of it resonated with me, like truly, like, and everyone thought it was like this phenomenon of a book. And I just, I'm with I, you. It did not land. I don't think I finished yeah, it. it. Did not because I was like Ugh. totally. It did not land with me at all. I was like, I don't get this. I reread it like a year ago, and like every single thing, I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I think it was because she just talks. Okay. Yeah, she it. just talks a lot about you know having a partner 
who's really in it 50% with you and, and how she could not do her job if she didn't have, you know, um, her husband and the father of her kids kind of doing like half of the workload at home. And that is absolutely true for me. I mean, my husband is amazing. Um, I'll have to forward this to him so he can hear it. Um, but <laughs> prove yes, I've said truly, it out loud yeah. Yeah. Published. <laughs> in a public space. No, but I mean, he really does like 50% of everything at home and with the girls. And that shows me. That's amazing, by the way. Like that's a, that's a true partnership. We're talking about partnerships. It starts at home. That's the most important partnership. Absolutely. And I think it sets an incredible um, sort of, you know, thing for our girls to see, you know, that my job and my career is just as valuable as his career and, and his goals we both have a very, you know, special close relationship with both of them, which I think is just, you know, was very important to me. And it's also continued to allow me to travel and work and, you know, do all the things that I love. And, you know, I think for me, work is something that I love. It's a part of my identity. Other women, you know, want to, um, they they really identify with staying at home and being with their kids, which I think is like the most incredible Thing. I, you know, respect stay-at-home moms more than I can ever, ever, ever say. Because I, I it just, you know, for me, work is part of who I am. It's part of my identity. Um, so I was very nervous about losing that or losing a part of myself when I had kids, but it's only really deepened it. I I work harder every day than I ever have because, you know, it's for them. And, you know, anywhere we go, now my three-year-old will point out the wallpaper before I do. And you know, so she's learning a little bit about, you know, what mom does. And, um, you know, I, I, again, like I said, I mean, I hope that I still have this business when they're old enough to sort of understand it a little bit more. You know, I grew up in a family business and I think it's a really beautiful, special thing. And my brother is my business partner. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I, it's something that's very special to me and I, and certainly not for everyone, but, um, it's been like a real blessing and joy for me to build my business sort of you know, kind of tangentially to our family business, which we still produce there um, and then run it day to day with my brother. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things woven in there. That's amazing. And you know, the other thing that just came up for me too, as you're talking about um, your partnership with your husband is equitable. You know, we talked about that earlier, but it just sounds to me like that's again, a successful partnership is equitable and with clear expectations. Completely. (laughs) That's so That's so true. And I mean, and it also doesn't, you know, and I think that this is in business and in like personal relationships is that you're, you constantly have to be checking in on those expectations and constantly checking in on those, um, just sort of the the things that are coming up, whether it's like logistical or whether it's, you know, are we still on the same page of like what we're hoping, you know, what does five years look like, um, from a business perspective? I mean, my brother and I check in about those kinds of things, about like just the overall, you know, current health of the business, whether that's something as granular as like cash flow and um, all these things are w- what we're investing back into the business. Um, but also that, you know, as things change in both of our lives, my brother is expecting a little girl um, in September. And so like his life is about to change. And, you know, again, we want to make sure that we're still aligned with sort of how we're building this business. And it's the same at home with my husband. It's like, we're constantly sort of checking in to say like, okay, are these still our five-year goals? Are we going to shift? Are we going to make some changes? And, you know, I think that that's been an, an important part of it. I love it. Okay, Elizabeth, I'm keeping an eye on time. I've got three more questions. I want to rapid fire. Go ask for you. it. Are you I'm ready? ready. Rapid fire. Here we go. 
What are you working towards now personally, as well as with chasing paper? I think just a little like wellness sounds so like cliche and weird, but I think that like just trying to, but totally. Necessary. Yeah. I think like personally, um, you know, I'm done having babies. I'm just trying to kind of get back to myself and like my brain, my body, my like, just, just kind of getting back to myself. Cause you know, the last couple of years have been sort of a whirlwind being pregnant and having kids. So that's kind of on the personal track. And I think that there's, uh, you know, sort of a, um, relationship there with business to just kind of like getting back to the things that I love, um, trying to be smarter about hiring and like hiring out. Like, I love that zone of genius that, yeah, yeah like genius, that idea yeah. I've read about that, about just kind of like doing the things that like you're best at and that give you the most sort of excitement and passion into what you do. Um, so definitely thinking about that as well from a business perspective. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. What impact do you want to make on the world or what legacy would you like to leave? You know, I started chasing paper to that, the idea that like design should be for everyone. Um, you know, I thought at the time, 10 years ago, you know, traditional wallpaper was only for like fancy people with big houses and interior designers and lots of money. And I wanted wallpaper to be something that like anyone could have, whether you rent or you own or you're young or you're old, or you have a designer, or you just love to DIY. Um, and I, I think that that's just very much part of who I am as just a person. I, I think, you know, being from the Midwest, I just, you know, I like everyone to be included. I like everyone to feel welcome. Um, I just, there's nothing better to me when you go somewhere and you just like immediately brought into the fold. There's just truly nothing better to me than that. Um, so I'm hoping to just create a space with chasing paper, um, that feels that way. Um, and again, I, I think, you know, on a more personal note, I would just really love for my girls to sort of see, um, see what this company is and to like know about it a little bit more and hopefully to be proud of their mom. I love it. Okay. Last question. What is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? Oh man, that's a, that's a big one. That's a good last question. <laughs> womp, womp. Wait, can you say it one more time? Okay. I would love to. Okay, here you go. I'll say it slow. So you have more okay. time to think. Ready? What is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? I, I think it, I'll take it back to the very beginning of this conversation, which is just curiosity. I think that so many good things come from being curious. And I mean, I have a three-year-old and an almost two-year-old and like they ask why about literally everything and it drives me bonkers, but there is something so pure <laughs> in that. There is something so incredible about how their brains are literally just like absorbing everything and genuinely curious about everything. And I think we just like lose that as adults. We think we know everything. We think we've seen it all. We've heard it all. We know best. And I think when you can kind of be vulnerable and allow yourself to sort of, you know, open up about, you know, okay, maybe I don't know everything or I don't know all of this, or I'm going to read more about that. Or I'm going to talk to someone who knows more about that. Um, to me, every time I go into something with that intention or with that sort of feeling where I'm like, I'm not expecting anything out of this. I'm not, I'm not, it, this is not, I'm not trying to like make money. I'm not trying to like, you know, climb some, you know, climb higher in a, you know, anything like that. It's just when it comes from sheer curiosity, I feel like that's when either just personally, I feel the most fulfilled or things that just come 
and flourish into like the most beautiful, um, whether it's a partnership or collaboration or just, you know, things unfold to just, I don't know, just to feel very fulfilled, very um, exciting. And I don't know, that's just kind of what gets me through the mundane (laughs) parts of business is is those kind of moments of, of excitement and passion. I love that. Um, I'm reading Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown right now. And she's talking about curiosity. I think it's, I don't want to mess it up, but I think she's comparing curiosity to interest. And um, anyway, Atlas of the Heart. Uh, I'll just yeah, I need to read that. For, I'm running that down. For a teaser for yeah. all listeners, Atlas of the Heart. She like breaks down all of like emotions and feelings and like maps them all out logistically. Oh, it's fascinating. And she's talking about uh, why well, I just got to the part where she's talking about. She's the queen. I mean, she is just the best. So she is the queen. <laughs> she's amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. Um, if anybody is curious about potentially reaching out about a partnership or just wants to pick your brain, good luck uh, finding time on your calendar. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, what's the best way for them to reach out and get in touch? Yeah. Um, you can definitely follow along with us at, um, chasing paper, um, on Instagram. Um, we are in always in the DMS, actually lots of great things always come out of our DMS. So you can find us there or, um, you know, you can email at hello at chasingpaper.com. Amazing. All right. We'll make sure we have all of your contact information in the show notes as well. Uh, for all of you listeners out there, if you loved this interview, please take a moment to leave a review and Elizabeth, Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk soon, Kylie. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.